Welcome to the Ryan Nile Show. I'm an all-round creative. I produce podcasts, I host podcasts, I interview, I write, I sing, I write songs, I'm a writer for TV, I create tech, I create content. I honestly think getting an idea from the mind into reality is magic. It's alchemy. And that's what I've committed my life to making. Magic. magic. Perhaps there is no art more fascinating than magic. magic. After all, where would fantasy be without magic? I run a creative studio called Pure Creation Media, which develops and produces original content that uplifts. And this podcast is my outlet to the world. Sometimes you'll hear in-depth interviews. Sometimes you'll hear directly from me. Sometimes it will be weekly, sometimes not. (laughs) I like to keep some space so you know that when you hear an episode from me, it's something that I'm really excited to share, which brings us to today. So back in January, I let you know that I was working on a mini series of conversations I had during lockdown over Zoom that I wanted to share. And I'll be honest, the the whole having conversations over Zoom, I'm not a huge fan of. Early listeners of the show will know that I really love doing in-person interviews, really connecting with my guest in person and having a deep human connection. This is a bit more challenging over Zoom while we're all in lockdown. But nevertheless, I did want to share these four special episodes. And I'll tell you why it's taken me this long to share them. I'm a person that needs a big why. As I said in my intro, I want this podcast to be a real outlet for things I'm really excited to share. And it just so happens that a very good friend of mine and an inspiration and someone who I have the privilege of producing, Alex Holmes, he has a book coming out on April 1st called Time to Talk. How men think about love, belonging and connection. Welcome to Time to Talk. I'm Alex Holmes, your host, and this is where I speak to life seekers, healers, and leaders in their fields to break down the stigmas of mental health, heal, and become emotionally courageous by having one compassionate conversation at a time. And if you know me, you know that this is a topic that I resonate with a lot. So really the stars aligned on this because the conversations I had in lockdown are on this topic. I have four episodes coming up for you, ending with an in-depth interview with Alex Holmes about the book. The interviews are with three men from the UK and we delve deep into how men think about belonging, connection, love, and so much more. So I want to dedicate this mini podcast series to Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love, Belonging and Connection, which is out April 1st. You can get the book anywhere you buy a book, Amazon, WA Smith. Check out your local bookstore too. So Alex, thank you for writing this book. Thank you for giving me a big reason why I should share this mini series. And thank you to my guests for being so open on this series. And I, and I really hope that you enjoy what we've got coming up. And now your host... Just a quick update from me and what I've been up to. As I said in the last update, the first original podcast outside of this show under Pure Creation Media is out and it's the Medic Mum podcast hosted by Dr. Poonam Krishan and Dr. Stephanie Uwe. And it's going amazingly well. We are on episode 15 at time of recording. We've just landed our first sponsor with Water Wipes. And I'd just like to say thank you for all your support if you have been checking it out. If you're a new parent, it's perfect for you. Make sure you check that out. Anywhere you can hear a podcast, that's the Medic Mum podcast, the Medic Mum podcast on Instagram. So on these updates, I want to answer two questions. What's something I've been struggling with and what's something I'm inspired by? I think this will keep me in check and it will keep me thinking about what have I been struggling with and what am I inspired by a lot of times when you are struggling with something it's hard to connect with what gets you out of that so I want to 
kind of keep track of the things that inspire me and the things that I'm struggling with. So things that I've been struggling with recently, panic, anxiety during this global lockdown. Health is one of the main topics that's occupying our minds globally, I think. And at the start of this year, I had a little health scare or a little nudge, I like to say, from my body. Things that I had to get checked out as a male, as you can imagine, <laughs> and I had to get them checked out thoroughly. As a black Caribbean male, things like prostate cancer are a real risk. And even though I'm 36 and not within the risk category, I just wanted to get the all clear and make sure that there wasn't anything. But within that period, and I think due to several other factors, my body has been going through almost a constant state of panic or anxiety. And I realized that I've lived with that for such a long time that my body seems to think it's normal to be in a fight or flight state for things that just aren't fight or flight worthy so my body reacts as if there's a lion around the corner that's going to eat me when really I'm just standing up on a zoom call or recording this podcast right now and it's yeah it's exhausting and meditation has helped a lot so many things have helped but yeah it's exhausting and that's something I've really been struggling with overcoming the physical sensation of panic when there's nothing to be panicked about and the 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 hard thing is in my mind I'm not panicked I'm super calm but my body reacts in this way which is a challenge but yeah I'll let you know how I get on with that I don't know if I need to get something prescribed or have maybe CBD oil or something like that a tincture or I don't know something that will calm the nerves I suppose so yeah that's something I've been struggling with but I'm doing better today hence me recording this so something i've been inspired by now finally got disney plus working on my tv and on disney plus there's a documentary series called inside pixar and pixar is just such an amazing company an amazing animation studio and such an inspiration of mine just in terms of how it's run the the culture that they fostered and how every single person, whether or not they're an artist or a creative, they all approach their work in a really creative way with purpose and meaning. And it just really makes makes me remember what I'm doing here and what I'm doing with this company and what I'm doing with some of the ideas I have in my brain <laughs> and what I want to get out there. So yeah i would i would highly recommend that series if you're creative check that out the episodes are like eight to ten minutes each and they're just really really good i really love them so yeah that's something that's been inspiring me a lot lately and now our feature presentation on today's episode I speak with Mr. Unique Voice, a.k.a. Nana Marfo, and we talk about how he was born without a voice, but now he's speaking out for others. We also talk about how his life story was withheld from him for so long, what it's like growing up without a voice, his relationship with his father, when we're hurt, do we forgive and forget, how his mum dedicated her whole life to save his, and struggling with disability as an adult during covid I got a huge amount from this conversation and I hope you do too. It's really illuminating. So I would implore you to listen through to the end because it's really uplifting and I think you'll get a lot from it. It's really inspirational. Nana, we salute you.
So welcome to the Ryan Nile Show. Nana, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for coming on, man. I know we've been trying to organise this for nearly a year now. Yeah, long, long overdue. <laughs> yeah, and now we're in the second lockdown. We were postponed by the first lockdown because we were supposed to do this in person. Yeah. Um, which I prefer, but yeah, it's just been crazy trying to organise anything and that's in person. So mm-hmm. yeah, I appreciate you jumping on on Zoom today. <laughs> this, this podcast is sponsored by Zoom. Okay. Like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, I, just, I really want to, you know, uncover your journey so far so listeners nana is a children with disabilities family worker and that is not by accident you know um, nana is well positioned for this kind of role and we're going to uncover that you know the show is all about the moments that change us those those times in life that really uh, define who we are and um, that's what we're going to uncover today with nana so the first question i want to ask you nana is why are you nicknamed mr unique voice (laughs) <laughs> I knew that question was coming. <laughs> Mr. Unique Voice stemmed from my life experience and basically being able to have my voice heard in particular realms that my voice shouldn't be heard. It all stemmed from being born with a limited narrow airway and the possibility of me not having a voice at all. Right. So the uniqueness of me being able to have a voice based on the condition I have, is a miracle in itself. Mm. And it's a unique journey. Absolutely. So just to talk to me about that. What is a narrow, a narrow trachea and how, how young no are worry, you? Don't worry, you're, 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 you're not the only one. Uh, <laughs> trachea, <us> to me. <laughs> wow. So basically, I was born in the 80s when medicine had advanced. And when I was born, I was born with a narrow airway. and to add to that, I was born six months premature. Right. So my airway hadn't developed. Oh, I see. Yeah. Obviously, being born at six months, you can imagine some of my internal organs hadn't fully developed with me. But let me break it down for you. So being born six months premature, three months early, but in terms of my organ growth, I was right. three months undeveloped. Wow. So the supporting um, organs weren't there to, yeah. to, to support the the growth of your voice and, and your, air, yeah. Yeah, your airway even to breathe, right? My, my, my airway, yeah. Yeah. So when I was born, instead of it being being put in my mother's arms for her to, you know, get to leave me to the world, I was being rushed to theatre to have a procedure so that I could breathe. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, I, the way my condition was and how fine they were to my voice box, I don't think I had my first grand. So, so when I was growing up, their scare was, would I be able to talk? I see. That is, wow. Never considered that because that is such a, mm. you know, a defining moment of a birth, isn't it? That's what we, we're kind of conditioned yeah. to, all right, when is the baby going to have that, that first, first cry. that first breath of air <laughs> and that first cry. And uh, yeah. so for you, it wasn't, it wasn't there. That must've been a really scary moment for for your mum yeah scary moment for mum and dad you know not having that first cry you know at first they thought oh he didn't make it what's wrong what's going on and the doctor said yeah he's alive but we need to take you we need to wheel him off to do a procedure straight away man so i spent because of my underdevelopment and my narrow airway and medicine being what it was in that time and space i spent two years in an incubator in guy's hospital Two years. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. So I didn't come out till I was about three. So you didn't come out of the hospital at all? It was just in the hospital? No. You... Wow. So no, because they were so, fr- they were so frightened that something was going to happen. Bearing in mind, I had three near-death experiences. So I was in ICU three times. So in your first two years? In my first two years. So it was really a touch and go. That's there was crazy. times they didn't think I was going to make it. There mm. was times they rang my mom. He's in ICU again. You know, it's it's crazy. <sighs> so your mom's at home at times getting these calls? Yeah. Wow. He was at home being told, right, you need to make your way, pack your bags, come say goodbye to him. Oh, man. Because you might not make it through the night. Oh, man. And it's not like you would have any any memory of this because it's like the first two years of your life or do you? Yeah. Uh, no, I wouldn't have any memories at all. So this, this would have been told to you? Yeah. Yeah. After the fact, what, tell me about when that was first, you know, told back to you and when do you first remember hearing of this? I remember hearing of it when my mum was having a conversation with her sister about my transitioning from a baby to an adult. Because my, my auntie was fascinated to know what happened because mm. she couldn't make the birth. So when I heard that, I was like, what? Wait, 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 wait. What ha- say, that, say that again. Yeah, how old were you? Uh, I think I was in my... Just started my teens. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. I thought it would... I, I imagine it would have been a bit a bit earlier, but... No, no, because you have to understand at that time and especially African parents in that generation <laughs> explaining stuff to their kids was like getting blood out of stone mm. yeah so even for my parents to explain to me that I was different from my peers it took me acting out in school to establish I was different oh. for it to be explained to me you know but we'll, we'll come to that I'm not going to speak yeah, up the story yeah, too, too yeah. much no, it's it's very revealing though. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. So first two years, near-death experiences, your mum's being called, your son might not see through the night. What has she, what she told you from, from that experience? What Did she suppress the trauma from it to kind of give you... I think a, she, a... She, she suppressed the trauma. My father handled it differently. My father just asked the doctors, you know, if he's, if he's going to go through pain, mm. then why don't we just let him go? Wow. So you can imagine I found that out mm. when I was 18. Oh, man. How did that make you feel? I had a lot of hatred for my old man, put it that way. Yeah. Because at that time, I could not compartmentalize his thought process at that point. Of course not. You know, telling a doctor if he's in pain, oh, we're not going to fight for him. Just, just, just let him go. Mm. <laughs> you know, that I had rage for a long time it was built up rage and yeah for for years it affected me and his relationship can imagine um yeah i mean there's so much to, to kind of dive into can i ask so is your your mum and dad that was are they still here as well yeah yeah my my father's back home but my mother my mother's still here okay that's that's good and what's your relationship with him now to put it diplomatically, I would say it's it's civil. Okay. You know, once you're told, once you're told a, a, a horrific mm. 
element of your life to that extent, it can. I, I know people that say, "Oh, you can forgive and forget," but yeah, stuff like that you can't you can't forget. Mm. No, I hear you. I hear you, especially where it's you know so life defining because you found out this about you when you were sounds like early yeah early teens. So to know yeah. like it's such a weird thing because it's this thing that a lot of us take for granted actually knowing one where you come yeah. from who you are what your story is right yeah. and what your story is kind of defines your behaviors what you want to do your ambitions and things like that how you interact with people and for a big portion of your life up until like secondary school it sounds like where things can like even late primary school where things can get get a bit awkward or confrontational with other characters and things like that you're really starting to find yourself you didn't have yeah. a true base of who you of no. who you are and it wasn't until you kind of overheard so you overheard when you was in early it, teens it, it kind of slipped out and it slipped out so uh, do, do you feel like you was kind of being kept away from from what actually happened i felt some of my truth was hidden mm. and it only came out because I may have poked the bear without realizing mm. I poked the bear. You know, certain people within my family slipped out with certain information and it kind of piqued my in, my, my intellect and I wanted to know, God, tell me a story halfway mm. and not carry on. <clears throat> I can understand some people thought it would affect the relationship, but, you know, if it's about me, I needed to know. Of course. It, it did affect the relationship, but such is life. Things happen for a reason. They do. They do. But did you feel like that they maybe kind of withheld that information with a good intention to begin with? And then it kind of just, you know, like once you hide something, then you have to yeah. start hiding all these other different things. And um, Yeah. It's like... It's like um, when you tell one lie, you tell another yeah. lie to cover up that lie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just carries on. And then, um, it, some, and then it's like, it's not even so much the information that hurts you, it's the yeah. lies. Yeah, I think they, you know what, I think back then they, they had true intentions, you know. They didn't want things to go pear-shaped. And plus, every human being walking this earth knows you tell a child that their parent didn't want them, mm. that defines the relationship and can possibly destroy if you're not a person who's strong-minded it can possibly destroy a person's confidence and makeup yeah. of how they proceed proceed in life with me it was the opposite it it made me angry mm -hmm. it it broke the relationship between me and my father up until that point i held him as a god right but then when i found that out I just thought my whole entire life was a lie, mm. you know, but it defined and it shaped me for who I am and who I am today. Absolutely. So I guess it needed to come out. I'm glad it came out when it did, because if it came out in my old age now, I probably would have been a broken man. I probably wouldn't have handled it mm. as best as I'm handling it now. Mm. Mm. For sure. So did they have the right intentions? They possibly did. But what 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 hides in the dark comes in the light. Always. So always. It needed to come out. It did. It did. And and I'm just trying to think like what 
health implications that had on you with ha- withholding the information? Like, what did you know and what didn't you know? At, at the time growing up, as, as I said before, I didn't quite establish I was different from others. Mm. I just thought I was regular Joe Blogs. I could play with my friends. There would be no consequences. And I could, do, you know, I could, the world was my oyster. Finding out that information, I think over years, it built up a lot of um, <clears throat> anger issues. So I think over the years, it then developed into high blood pressure. So it, it, it escalated from me being angry a lot to not being able to maintain my, you know, blood pressure because, you know, I was always thinking, thinking, why? Mm, stewing on it. Why yeah. me? Mm. I was always, you know, dwelling on it. Hmm. So is this before you found out? So let's say like 11 or 12 years old, because you, you, <clears throat> you kind of said that you was having episodes or like acting up in in school was there yep. this like like physical building up of tension that was that manifested by things you didn't know or i think i think when it came to explanation and making me understand certain things both parents they've done a great job in raising me but i think communication lacked right in terms of making me understand what was happening to me. Why was I different from my peers? Mm. Why was I being put in a classroom during the winter period and my friends could play outside? Mm. Okay. What was the tube? What was the reason for me having the tube in my neck? Why did I need to go to speech therapy every six months? Mm. So none of these things were explained. I would see my friends having fun and I'm being told, oh, you need to go to speech therapy at Great Woman Street. Mm. where they would be prodding me, looking at heavy notes concerning my life and asking me, how's the tube, Nana? Did you want it out? At a young age, I, I didn't understand none of that. Because it's always been there. Yeah. All, 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 all I was interested in is, can I go outside and play football? Yeah. You know, but I think due to the lack of communication and educating me of who I am and why I came to who I was, I think... I burst out in anger to be educated or to be informed why mm. I was different. Right. And my way of doing that was lashing out on teachers and possibly turn into a little bully at school. Mm. So I think it was my cry for help. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, to kind of be thrusted in the world through now what you, what you know happened to you and then... You know, you had the the, the tube in your yep. in your throat from by the sounds of it from from two years old. Mm-hmm. So for you, that that was always normal. Yeah, for me, that that was always normal. But in your environment, it wasn't. But the, that the connection between the two was never explained. Was never explained. Wow. See, this is something that I would never expect actually, because I, I suppose any child that's gone through something as traumatic as as what you've been through or any kind of disability i think people myself included would the first thought is that you'd imagine that the the parents would explain to the child you know and try and uh help them feel as normal not normal but as as inclusive with everyone as possible or to let them know look (laughs) you know this is what's happened you might be maybe don't do that because this is what's happened so to kind of in a in a in a way just treat you as like nothing happened which in a, in a way is kind of treating you as quote unquote normal i can understand in a way but 
it's quite it's quite dangerous but, from a health perspective. But you, you but you have to understand the time period in time period of England at that time, there was no such thing as the social model. Mm. There was no such thing as jargons of inclusion, diversity. Yeah. You know, none of these jargons were about Yeah, them. it's a different time. It for was real. all about <laughs> it was all about the medical model. Mm. How do we fix him? How do we make him normal? How do we remove that particular device called a tracheostomy out of his neck so he can be like his peers? Mm. What drug can we put him on? Can we take it out and see how it works without him living with it? Mm. So it was all about patching me up. It wasn't about my psyche. Mm. It wasn't about how I was absorbing stuff internally. Yeah. It wasn't about building a relationship with society to accept me for who I was because that demographic or that narrative wasn't there. Mm. So mental health, did I have mental health back then? I probably did. Now everybody talks about mental health and it's open. Mm. Back then, I even, came yeah, it wasn't from... Even acknowledged. <laughs> it wasn't even acknowledged. And I came from a family where my father was an alpha male and nothing... You know, you're a man. You know, men don't do this. Men don't do that. Mm. You know, put your chest up. Mm. So I probably was battling with a lot of things. It's kind of like, yeah, put up and shut up. Like, this is what you're, this, yeah. you've got that and just carry on. Like, yeah. don't moan. So that's a lot, that's a lot of internal battle. That's a, mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing is pre you kind of poking the bear and finding out by accident what actually happened to you mm-hmm. there's a lot of internal battle because it's like well why can they do everything that i want to do and i have to go to yep. a speech therapist and they're asking me about this tube and stuff so there's that internal yep. battle then yep. after you hear about what's happened then it's like another layer like another internal battle like well who, who am i why why didn't you tell me what's what's happened you know yeah and then up until you're 18 so you're stirring you're stewing on that and then you find out that the the, the method in which your your dad wanted to to take things and what are you thinking at that time you're like oh what else is there to tell me then you know like who am i what just let me know everything it's better to let me know right yeah at that time i just i didn't believe a word anyone else told me i was like Mm. if there's anything else tell me now or forever rest your case Mm. or be prepared for how i behave Mm. you know because i'm finding out stuff and i'm finding out from different people and when i'm asking questions I'm being gaslighted to feel that I'm going mad. Right. Uh, you know, I'm asking questions. It's like, oh, what are you talking about? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, what do you mean? Mm. And it's like, right, there must be some truth in what I'm telling you. Or I'm asking you mm. because you're making me feel like I'm senile. Right. You know, so I, I, I buried my anger for years, mm. for years. And I had conversations with people and it got to a point, people that were close to me were like, listen, look, you can't keep on going on through your life being angry. Yeah. You need to address the person who you have the issue with and you just need to let it go. Mm. So at 24, I addressed the man. Wow. So I was just going to butt in and ask you, so yeah. tell me about a day when when that changed for you, when you, when you, when you, yeah, when you left anger behind and... Or confronted it. Yeah, um, it, it it happened by chance, and not not. It, it should have been a, a, a positive reuniting, but it was due to my little sister falling ill. 
Oh. I had to fly to Ghana on an emergency because mm. she was out there and all of the stuff was going on. So I went out there by chance. And when I got there, obviously people could tell there was tension between me and him without me realizing it. There was a lot going on. And I think I'd had enough. I just blurted it out and asked him a straight question. Mm-hmm. You know, did you tell the doctors to terminate? Or did you tell the doctors, because I'm going through so much pain, I should be eliminated? And that first reaction I got determined my answer. Even though his mouth was saying one thing mm. is, you know, one thing about the human body. Yes, tells you everything. It speaks a whole lot of volumes than the <laughs> mouth. Mm, it's true. So just, even though he... So I was going to say, just paint me the, the picture of when this conversation occurred. Like, was it just you... You two, or was it in front of family? In like, what what was the circumstance in which it? It it was just me and him. I think there was a conversation having, and I don't know how it erupted into that. Something happened. He said something to me, and it just triggered me, and I just came oh, wow. out. Of it. Wow, wow, um, twenty four years of that so, being yeah. built up. Yeah, and it it, it yeah. came up at that point. Did you feel? Did you feel like nervous or like? That you had to like uh, take off a mask of respect or anything like that that we that we build up, especially with you know alpha male characters. Like you said, you 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 viewed him as a god. What did it take for you to bring that up in that moment, or did it just come out? I think for me, because I'd built a lot of anger over the years, I think the respect was gone. Right. So I saw him like one of my peers. Mm. The father-son link for me had disappeared and I just wanted answers and whatever he said at that moment in time defined where I was going to go Wow! or how me and him were going to progress. So, yeah, the respect wasn't there. It was just a straightforward question and obviously his body language defined the angle I took. So what was his body language? How was that different to, to his answer? The body language was, oh crap, I'm- how am I going to answer him? Mm. That's that's how his body language looked. He froze for a good fifteen minutes before he said no. He never said no such thing. Oh wow, fifteen minutes. That, that, yeah, 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 yeah. He froze, froze. So what what was you doing in that fifteen minutes? Just like waiting. I or? was just waiting. I was just waiting for him to just say something. Mm. You know. Uh, and when he said no, I asked him a second time. He repeated the word no, and in my mind, I already. When him when he was saying no, in my mind I was saying yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that pause alone made me realize, okay, you've probably realized you did something which you weren't meant to do, mm. and you're you, you know you're you're doing what what the government do where when 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 they don't want to be direct of an answer they skate around it. Mm. So you're not giving me the answers I need. But your body language is giving me the answers I need. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, when you when you first said, you know, it just came out and his body language told you everything you needed to know and then his answer came out. To me, it sounded as if, you know, that was a, a quick exchange. I didn't imagine it to be this 15 minutes of like awkward tension because that's what it would be, especially if it's just you two. After yeah. all of these years, all of, you know, your whole identity is kind of wrapped up within this this story and your health as well. And 
you muster up the courage or the the will the will to ask this question and uh, yeah for for it, to, for it to be that 15 minute silence i'm sure everything went through your head and you you got everything that you needed to know from there yeah uh, i did i mean it wasn't, it wasn't even plucking courage. It was a thing that, in my mind, I wanted answers. Mm. So I didn't care how I was going to get it mm. or how I came across, whether I came across aggressive. Right. I needed answers. Mm. So I don't think he was prepared. No. I don't think he thought I was going to ask him that question. And for a minute, he was like, the, I think the first thing he said before he answered was, who told you? Right. Who's been speaking to you? Mm. And I was like, okay. That's irrelevant. Mm. Whoever spoke to me, whoever told me, that's irrelevant. I just need to know. Did you say it? Yeah. Oh, man. Man. Yeah, because he, it sounds like he never expected you to, one, even know, and two, yeah. ever ask. Yes. Man. Man. So it's not only a so day that, it, it, that it, it, changed it, it, you, it changed him. Yeah, because I think it threw him for six mm. for me finding out. Because he stopped, he, when I asked him, the way he stopped, I was thinking, okay, in his mind, he's thinking, how did he find out? Mm. That must have been turning in his head. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Like you said, if, if you've started, you know, this whole thing with lies after lie after lie after lie and you've covered it up, that in a way becomes the normality. And if, yeah. As long as no no one brings it up and there's no questions or anything like that, it's like, yep, yeah, just carrying on as normal. And then yep. here you are with the demanding demanding answers. And it's like, all right, yeah, life is not the same from here. There's no option for life to be the same for you. You're now feeling yeah. the, you know, what I'm what I've been feeling. You're now feeling what I've been feeling, which is this unrest. I've I've not been settled this whole time. And I'm in order for me to get peace, because you said this conversation came off of your friend saying to you, you need to kind of drop the anger or you need to release that somehow you know yeah. and this conversation come in almost by accident but everything happens yeah. for a reason like you said yeah it's almost like a transference it sounds like oh, so yeah. did, did you find after analyzing his body language and getting a message that you that you that you got i was going to say that you needed but that the, getting a message that you got from from him yeah. did you feel any sense of peace like what what went through your mind what decisions or what like thoughts happened at that moment <sighs> Was I relieved? I don't think in that moment in time I was thinking about being, you know, being relieved. I think I was disappointed. Mm. And, you know, to, to grow up with a man who I felt had my best interests at heart and then to get to the age I'm at and then to realise, okay, all of that was a cover-up. Mm. And to understand that, okay, I really am in this world due to my mother. Because mm. if my mm. mother... wow didn't didn't intervene when she did then if he had his way i wouldn't have existed at all yeah so that thought process just kept on churning in my head but in terms of did i forgive him i let the anger go mm. but did i forget not really i don't mm. think about it as much now in my latter years mm -hmm. but it's just a stone wall between me and him yeah yeah you know Absolutely. And I, you know what? I think in my, in my philosophy and the way that I view things, I think that's fine. There's a lot of kind of new agey thoughts about forgive and forget and, you know, like rekindle and stuff like that. But yeah. I personally view things as letting go the anger is, is the thing. Letting yeah. go the, that, that rage and that they say it's like holding onto a, a hot stone with the intention mm -hmm. of throwing it at someone else. But 
all the while it's you being burnt right yeah and putting that down and moving on but it doesn't actually serve you to forget it doesn't serve you to forget it doesn't serve you necessarily to if it doesn't empower you to rekindle you know just for the sake Mm -hmm. of it because of what it looks like to others or you know what it's like being from like a traditional background where it's like there's a lot of oh what does this look like or what does this person think or do you know what i mean yeah it's never the other way around, by the way. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. what's the impact on on the on the chart? Anyway, that's a that's a podcast yeah. episode in itself. I think, yeah, letting go of the anger is the is the step, you know. And then yeah. from there, you can it creates a space and it lets other elements in. Like you said, you realise at that moment if it wasn't for your mum who gave you life in the first place, yeah. but also saved your life, you know what what could have been, you know. So what what happened with your relationship with your mum following this? Well, when I was 10, my tracker got taken out and I went to live with my old man. Oh, so from the age of 10. Sorry, just just what is the so, trachea then? Right, so trachea is to me tube is a tube that is inserted in the trachea to enable oxygen entering the body. For some people, it's to enable that they can speak and for others, it's a way for them to be fed. Right. So you got you got this taken out when you were 10. I got it taken out when I was 10 and I went to live with my dad for five years in Ghana. Oh, wow. So from the age of 10 till I was 14 or 15, the bond between me and my mom wasn't there per se. So when I came back at the age of 15, I had to rebuild that bond with my mother. Mm. And you can imagine 16 to 18 is the most crucial age that a teenager can turn from good side or to bad side. <laughs> it depends what what path they take. Yeah, particularly so, in London. Particularly in London. Mm. So living with a man for so long, a man that allowed me to determine my day-to-day living, giving me an allowance to live off, then to come to a mother who wanted to control everything mm. and wanted me to inform her of my whereabouts, informer of my financial attributes Mm. that was a battle in itself Mm. so i'm not saying the relationship was bad but it was kind of like a power struggle Mm. did i bear in mind at the age of 15 i didn't know what i knew Mm. so again i felt my dad was god (laughs) so there was a power struggle that lets me do this why are you not doing it why are you asking me for you know where i'm spending my money why are you asking me why i'm buying this so up until I was 18, I understood the true value of my mother. Mm. So from then till now, the relationship is completely different. Yeah. In which ways is it different? I understand her more. Yeah. And I would say I appreciate the risks she took back then to enable that mm. I stayed alive. Yeah. Yeah. And that, knowing what you know now, do you do you kind of understand why she was a bit more controlling? Having being that you've kind of been to and fro, and it feels like every five years of your life up yeah. until like twenty four is like something <laughs> something else. It's like different chapters. It's been a, yeah, been a roller coaster. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I fully understood why she done what she done, and I fully understood her mindset. It, it, it's it's a mother's instinct to protect their child. Yeah. So at the tender age of my teens, I never understood it. Of course, she was a pain in the backside. Mm. <laughs> but I didn't know the history behind why. Mm. Growing up, I've understood why. Yeah. 
growing up, I've understood, you know, she had to take some hard decisions. She mm. had a lot of throwback from my, from my father and she had to stand up for herself. Yeah. Because in my culture, men are seen as at the top and women are seen as you're the wife. You just, you know, stick to the marital home and you were even home. Yeah. Because she had a lot of traditional you know, kickback, mm, mm. as well as dealing with a child in a country she'd recently immigrated to, to give birth to a child with a disability. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot for her. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, what a, what a revelation to be able to understand where your mum was coming from as well. That yeah. must, that must have given you a sense of, and her, a sense of peace and a, pens- a sense of, a new, a new kind of bond. Yes. Mm. That's lovely. That is lovely. Wow. So, if you don't mind me asking, how how do you now? Like, what what chapter are we in now? <laughs> <laughs> we are in chapter thirty seven. Cool. Nice. Okay. So, talk to me about how you've used your story, which is so rich and and, and powerful, to to help others and to to make an impact for families and, and children with, with disabilities. And also just to, to couple that question with, do you still, are you still challenged with the narrow passage issue in, in your, in your adult life? Okay. So let me answer that one. Uh, am I still challenged by my disability on a day-to-day basis? Yes. Cause I, I live permanently with a tracheostomy tube. So I have to make sure my airway is safe. I have to sterilize the wound and I just have to make sure, you know, there isn't any bacteria growing around. Due to COVID, it's a bit difficult getting the annual checkups. But as it stands, I'm healthy. Yes, I'm an extreme shielder. So I need to be be mindful of how the virus is spreading around the country. I think every day is a new day. Mm. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, try and make a pick or make people feel sorry for me. Um, every day is a new day. There's days when I'm good. There's days when I feel, ugh, mm. and I just get on with it rather than scream and complain and be a, a Twitter troll and the unnecessary things which doesn't bring a positivity to my life or to the external people around me. That's beautiful. In terms of how I'm using my newfound energy stems from being introduced to the working world, being introduced to employment. But it even stems far back than that from my educational life, where I was being told no, purely because the England at that time focused on the medical model. Yes. So as soon as you came into community, local authorities at that time on their radar, ding, 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 special educational needs, mm. right? He can't go to a special, he can't go to a mainstream school, let's send him to a special needs school. Right. He can't go to mainstream. Because in their mind, you need to be fixed, right? Mm. You're quite, you're, you're a jigsaw, but you're the odd shape. Mm, you're mm. not fitting anywhere. So you need to fit with the rest of the broken people. Right. So I spent, I spent a good chunk of my life uh, at home because local authorities couldn't Place understand mm. or comprehend that I could compete with my peers. Mm. And through that, my mother had to go on relentless tribunals. Wow. Bearing in mind, this was a lady who her education wasn't as high, but she refused 
to accept that I was going to be put in a position where an impact of my education would determine that I wouldn't amount to nothing in society later on in life. Mm. I, through all the struggles, I managed to get through mainstream school. It was, you know, tug of war, getting funding, getting a support worker to understand my needs, yeah. getting the education I need. I may have not got the right GCSEs, but comprehending what I've been through in my life, if I was to be your A star student, it would have been a miracle. But <laughs> <laughs> that that just wasn't possible. So when we speed up to my employment life, I noticed being disabled is hard, mm. hard work. You know, being disabled and black, that's oh, <laughs> a double whammy. I found out in the corporate world that if you want stuff done, you'd have to speak up. Mm. And bearing in mind, I'm coming from a, a culture where people saw me as disabled and people saw me that my voice didn't matter. Yes. So I'd grown in an environment where I'd sheltered my voice over the years. I'd grown in an environment where when my peers spoke, I didn't speak. I'd grown in an environment where my voice couldn't project itself mm. strongly because of my condition. Yeah. But then when I got into the corporate world at 24, I think something broke in me mm. because I'd had enough of being quiet. Yes. It's like that dog that you've been terrorizing is eventually what does the dog do? The dog's going to attack you. Mm. So I became that dog who turned and was attacking society. Society had imprisoned me for so long that when I attacked, there was no rationality behind how I was verbalizing things. Mm. I just wanted to be heard. Right. And you were going to hear me mm. regardless of how you decided to in digest the information. Right. So I think when I go into that corporate space, I wanted certain reasonable adjustments in that corporate space. Mm. I wanted to be accepted as a worker, as everyone else. I wanted to be understood and given the platform to be able to do a good day's work and to get a good day's wage. Yeah, of course like everybody else unfortunately i had a lot of kickbacks and i was put in a position where i was told oh don't worry about it when the issue gets worse we will sort out the problem then of course now i'm never a person who likes to leave stuff to the last minute mm. i'd rather sort out a cure and have a prevention before the issue erupts absolutely so when i was being told oh don't worry about it we'll sort it out and then when the problem actually came, I was penalized for being disabled. Hmm. I was like, no, nah. being, dis being disabled wasn't my choice. Right. Being born six months early wasn't my choice. Mm. Living in the tracheostomic tube permanently mm. was not my choice. Yeah. So I then decided to speak out. I decided to, you know, challenge managers in the workplace concerning my duty of care. I decided to start reading employment law books mm. and fancy Facebook decided to do Facebook lives. Mm. <laughs> I jumped on there. <laughs> I jumped on there in 2016 yeah. and done my first Facebook live about being disabled and working in a corporate environment. Good on you, man. Good on you. And the amount of attention I got for that alone, I just thought I was just having a run. Yeah. But the amount of DMs, people actually ringing me on Facebook Messenger, yeah. you're saying something that I've been thinking about for years. Yeah. I 
I've been going through this, but haven't had anyone to talk to. It it, it was overwhelming. Mm. But then I realized that as much as the Disability Discrimination Act came into force in 1995, <laughs> nothing had changed. Yeah. They just put writing on the wall. Basically. It was an act that no one enacted. There you go. Mm. So I think my advocacy work started then. I started to use my own examples. I left myself vulnerable and opened up. It showed people my struggles, Mm. which I never complained about. Yeah, yeah. You know, some of my friends watched those videos and was like, wow, we didn't know you went through this. Wow. (laughs) We've been friends with you for years. Yeah. And we never knew this is what you went through behind closed doors. Mm. You never complained. You never asked for a pity party. You know, you you never used your disability to say you can't. Mm. But that's because I had a mother who didn't allow me to do that. Yeah, I just got goosebumps when you said that, actually. Because I was, I was going to say there's so many parallels to to what your mum did in, yeah. in advocating for you from from right from the start, man. And and overcoming the the numerous barriers that she would have had to go through as a woman, as an immigrant, that you said not not being educated to the point uh, to, to, that you'd expect to be able to handle tribunals and the battle that you, that she's had to do. And you, you have know. to you, you you have to remember around those times as well. It was heightened with Stephen Lawrence. Yes. Yeah. So you can imagine the back the backdrop or the kickback oh, definitely she was getting around those times definitely yeah the, the social landscape at that time would may, have made it so much more difficult also there's no internet so it's like it's a very much a solo mission you know so god bless your mum man and then god bless you as well for for carrying that on and it's it's obviously within you you know and it's a beautiful thing to to be able to take all of those chapters and what you've been through, but turning it around and using it to literally help others to be that voice. And it's just, it's poetic in a, in a way. And I don't want to put your condition into poetry, but the fact that you didn't have a voice and now you are a voice, man, that's, that's, it's epic. It's epic. And I'm, I'm in awe. Of, that's why I'm called Mr. Unique Voice. Absolutely, man. <laughs> absolutely. And I'm, I'm in awe of what you do and, and your mission and what you have to go through every day, especially what's been happening this year. Like you said, you're an extreme shoulder as a an airborne virus for someone with a respiratory condition. Respiratory, thank you. Respiratory condition. But to, to take each day as it comes and to carry on with your mission is just absolutely inspiring. Absolutely inspiring. You know, and, and, and I didn't think my story was that powerful, if I'm being honest, from when I started doing my advocacy work. But the opportunities I've got just by making people see my story and to make them realize that if I if I've been able to get to where I am, you can definitely open the door and get to where you need to be. Mm. You know, with the independent giving me a voice, allowing me to put pen to paper, yeah, to share a narrative on disability, you know, the Metro giving me my first article. Yeah speaking about being voiceless you know the opportunities i've had because of modern technology is amazing Mm. imagine if this technology was there when my mother was fighting for me (laughs) where would i be right exactly amazing man amazing yeah like i said i'm just so inspired by by what you do in your continued mission it's beautiful so in your in your current role is there a way that people can interact with you or is it yeah, talk, just talk to me a little bit about, about that. 
Right. So my current role is is a daytime job. So that's for a local authority. So that's for people within the borough that I work for. Mm. It's basically supporting children who have disabilities and their families. Mm. And that's enabling them not to go through the pitfalls I went through in the 90s. Yes. You know, you can imagine laws, legislations, numerous cases of other children have heightened the awareness of children and their families. Mm. So for me, I suit that role because of what I've been through as a child mm-hmm. and being disabled. However, in terms of people reaching out to me, I have a organization called Unique Abilities. Unique Abilities is a platform that enables people with various disabilities. There is no age restriction. I've had 16-year-olds reach out to me. Mm-hmm. It's to enable people to have a voice. Yes. Your voice is valued. Your voice is important. Your difference is important. Mm. You know, you should never shy away from who you are. I did so for so many years. And had I not had that turning point, I probably wouldn't be as charismatic as I am today. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So the platform that I built called Unique Ability stems from you're unique, no matter your creed, no matter your shape, no matter your color. If you look at my logo, Unique Ability's logo, it's different colors and it's different shapes. Mm. It's meaning disability has no shape, no color. Disability is universal. Mm. So everybody with a disability needs to be heard. Right. And if you're not listening or hearing that person, I think you're not being inclusive enough. Absolutely. So it's about a platform that enables inclusion, that enables a platform to speak and just be yourself. Mm, that is super powerful, man. That is super powerful. And thank you for, for creating that platform. So many people need that. And I'm privileged to be able to, you know, uplift this conversation and share it with my listeners. And hopefully they can share it with someone who needs to hear this, you know, super duper powerful, man. So Unique Abilities, is it uniqueabilities.com or? Uh, I haven't built a website for it yet, but I do a lot of communication on Twitter. Cool. So it's Unique unique Abilities Limited, but I use it through my name, Mr. Unique Voice. Mr. Unique Voice. Mr. Unique Voice so on my, Twitter. So my handle is at Mr. Underscore Unique Underscore Voice. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I'm sure... I'm sure you're going to get people reaching out to you <laughs> from this. Yeah. And, um, super inspiring. I, I, I love how it's all connected and how you've used it and how you really turn that around. That's that's what this show is all about. Those moments in which we turn these moments around and we, you know, t- you turn trauma into into power, into inspiration and into, yeah. into, into moving. Turn it into, into a salvation for someone who needs that light. Definitely. Definitely. Because like it, it just strikes strikes me what you said. Like you could have been if you went down the other road, what life could have been. Like you could be stewing in that anger, being a, yeah. a Twitter troll or a YouTube troll, any of these kind of like yeah. just angry at the world, isn't it? But I'm so yeah. glad you turn use that power for good, and we appreciate you for that, man. Thank you so much. Just lastly, knowing what you know now. In chapter thirty-seven, <laughs> if you could, if you can go back to when you first poked the bear and heard the story of what you went through as a child, uh, yep. as Mr. Unique Voice, what would you say to that child? I would tell the child not to be angry. Education lacks for some people. We're not all the same. 
and possibly my parent at that time didn't quite know how to deal with the trauma of having a child who had an impairment. And I would tell my younger self to love myself and to not take on other people's fears or other people's perception of what I would have, I would be today. There was a lot of pressure on me to be this alpha male. I would tell my younger self, you will be who you be when you're good and ready. Not when someone else wants you to be what they imagine you to be. Life is how you make it. Life is how you determine it. And you are the only one that can walk in your shoes and find your destiny. That's super powerful, man. Nana, thank you so much. <laughs> I got goosebumps. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on the show. And I'm so glad that we could do this, even if it was in lockdown. Hopefully we can do it in person soon. Yes, definitely. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you.